Hi, I'm Margie and you're listening to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, do remember to subscribe on iTunes and rate and review it because I'm kind of needy like that. (laughs) This week's castaway is Tess Ward. Tess is a Cordon Bleu trained chef, a food writer and a model. Tess has had a huge year career-wise and it was really exciting to hear all about some of the things she's been up to, including her biggest pinch me moment. Tess travels a lot for work and regularly eats in exciting new restaurants, so it was great to hear all about her recommendations and what she's been loving. Her book, The Naked Diet, came out in 2015, and she's been beavering away on a new one, which sounds fab, and she tells us all about what we can expect from that. Hello and welcome, Tess Ward. Hi. (laughs) Quite formal using your full name there, but genuinely... You can call me Tess. (laughs) Thanks. So excited to hear your desert island dishes. So Tess, you decided you wanted to be a chef while still at university and then you went and trained at Le Cordon Bleu. Yeah. Were you always cooking up a storm for your friends at university? It was mixed. I think I um, started cooking a lot more in my third year because a lot of my degree was research led. I was doing a dissertation, which was really interesting and fun in parts but during the research period I had you know a decent amount of free time I'd want to finish kind of around 5 p.m because I'd go into the library I'm much more of an early starter okay but yeah I'd go home early and I'd buy ingredients from the market or from the international supermarket um, and then play around with recipes so sometimes I'd be testing and would eat the food myself or if we're having a dinner party I'd you know explore things I hadn't made before. And it was always for me an exploration of new things. And I was 100% getting it wrong a lot of the time. I was going to say for lots of people, university cooking resembles Bridget Jones's blue string soup. (laughs) Oh my God. Imagine that happened to you or did it? I actually got lucky. And I was also known at Cordon Bleu as being someone who managed to fix a bad situation quite easily. So we were working on induction and the knobs were really annoying because they were really low. They were like hip height and you could very easily flip them. And your potatoes would go from, you know, being slightly gold to burn in seconds. And times that that would happen, people would freak out and throw them away. Induction hobs are really tricky, aren't they? Yeah, they are, unless you kind of know what you're doing. It can be a bit of a disaster. I prefer gas, put it that way. Yeah, I, I just, I ended up kind of working out how if you mess up certain things, you know, there's a way back usually. Burnt potatoes is a hard one, but you can kind of cut a bit off the edges. Yeah. Do you think that kind of, that comes from confidence, like knowing how to fix a solution, like fix a problem in the kitchen? Slightly, but also it comes from a, you can ne- you can never do better than your best or you can never do better than you're trying than when you try your hardest. And I think all, so many Western cultures, we berate ourselves for not succeeding or not being perfect. Yeah. And Obviously, you want to try and work as hard as you can to do the best you can at all times. But especially in cooking, it's never something you want to berate yourself about. Right. It's something you're like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, I'm going to learn from that. Yeah. And I'm not not to say I haven't thrown an entire dish on the floor in frustration because it hasn't turned out. Yeah. I, <laughs> 100% I have. But the best way to come back from that is to try something else or to be like, okay, why didn't that work? Or maybe I should do some more research. So for example, if I've tried a dish, it doesn't work. And I'm trying a new technique, which I know nothing about. Yeah. I will then defer back to reading from some textbooks or some chef books or like some more, more technical cookbooks, like written by legit like chefs, like, you know, Heston has some quite good tips in his book. 
The French Laundry cookbook's quite good. There's a really good book called Bar Tartine, which is written by these two chefs out in LA. And they have all these amazing kind of techniques for making things like green onion salt and like smoked this and that, like all sorts of things, but that you can then add into your dishes. So I'll make random condiments from certain cookbooks and then be like, oh, I really like that. And then just find an entirely new way to use it. Yeah, I think that's really encouraging for people to hear because I think if you're not naturally good at cooking or you don't think you are, you can kind of get really daunted by it. And you don't realize that even people like you who are doing it for a living, there is a research process involved and there's trial and error. And I think that's all part of the fun, isn't it? I don't read a recipe ever and then take it for face value and think that this person knows 100%, especially if they're not a chef. I get influences and inspiration from people's Instagrams. Yeah. Or like if I have an idea for a recipe, like I love the idea of tear and share bread. I always kind of, before I have people over for dinner, I never do starters. I always have like a weird selection of different types of dips and purees and oils and like marinated cheeses. God, please can we all come for dinner at yours? (laughs) And, um, And so then I kind of have, you know, sometimes I'll buy really nice bread to go with it or I'll do like tear and share, which is where you like crisscross and you stuff it full of but I don't do it with cheese I'll put it full of like coriander chutney and other you know other things like that just a bit different yeah um and then you rip out the bread and it's you know you kind of have it and you bake it and it's you can put parmesan on it and stuff and it's nice and cheesy if you want to um that sounds amazing I've seen recipes for it in the past where people shove like parma ham down the sides and whatever and if you think about it logically I'm like well people are ripping out pieces of this if you put a whole piece of parma ham it's just going to it's just going to be messy so it's kind of a combination of like how it's going to be for the the eater yeah and the experience of eating it versus yeah. what you want to achieve by it yeah. and it's always for it to look colorful be super full of flavor like i use a lot of herbs and a lot of spices in my food and i use them often as a way of reducing the amount of salt reducing the amount of cheese and animal products because i like to cook in a way that's kind of mindful for the environment yeah That all sounds amazing. (laughs) Sorry, I'm waffling. No, you're not waffling at all. We like waffle. Um, Let's talk about your first desert island dish of the day. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. I'm actually going to write this in capitals on my piece of paper in front of me (laughs) because it couldn't be anything else. It's flapjacks. Oh, good answer. And I think probably more than anything, when I say that word, I can just imagine my granny's agar and the smell of butter and sugar and hot, bubbly, like coming out of the oven, even slight the oats, slightly golden at the top. I used to like it a little bit more overcooked mm, and then I'd like to eat crunchy. it pretty immediately and like definitely burn the roof of my mouth. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, A risk worth taking. Yeah, but now like it's, I think most people have them kind of slightly, when you buy them, they're not really the same. They're, kind they're of, quite squidgy. Yeah, they're squidgy and they're always a bit pale, I think. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you like a flapjack with a tan. I like flapjack. I like a flapjack that's been on holiday. <laughs> um, so Tess, after you trained, you worked in the kitchens of the River Cottage and the Ritz, just to name a few, which is very cool. Yeah. And um, the funny thing is, is that I worked in the Ritz, but I worked in the Ritz for probably about four days. Oh, really? <laughs> it was like I was covering for someone else. And Harwood Arms, I worked in more. River Cottage, oh, I, I spent love six the Harwood Arms. There. I was doing their Scotch eggs for a bit. Oh my goodness! It was goodness, a painful process making that yeah. mixture. Yeah, because it was like how many ki- like several kilos. Of What's their secret to making them so good? Liver, mace, caramelized onion, a good amount of seasoning, a good mixture of different. I think these pork and venison, as far as I recall, or it might have been pork and beef. But they just it's, they don't go low on like the spices. It's just the ratios. Like it was to the like. 7.5 grams of salt oh, like something ridiculous <laughs> it was by the end very... you just like never wanted to see another scotch egg yeah I, 
and then you'd have this whole tank of them after they'd been um, boiled, soft boiled, and you'd peel them and then they'd be kept at like a, an, a specific temperature. So they oh, cook. like in a water bath. Exactly. How did you find working in a professional kitchen? I liked it. I learned a lot more than I did at culinary school. Yeah. I found the people with the chefs working and also the KP, everyone involved in it. It was a very kind of a joint and an organic process. Some kitchens are large, very broken up. There's a very strong hierarchy. Yeah. But I was very fortunate. All the kitchens I worked in were with people who really loved what they did and were very, very keen on passing on knowledge. That's so and, nice. And no question was annoying for them. So when I was there, kind of not really sure about this, that or the other, they would take the time to make sure that I really understood and that was really lucky. Yeah, that's so you didn't have to deal with the cliche of the angry chef no, things at you. <laughs> no, I didn't have any of that. I was really lucky. I was really lucky. But I think for me, more than anything with cooking is that I realized quite quickly that from working in the kitchen, it wasn't as simple as just cooking for other people I wanted to do, but kind of inspire other people to cook. Yeah. Because you can go to a restaurant and be like, shit, that was a good meal. Like That was amazing. And then leave and be like... Affected in a way that you had a great meal, but it doesn't, you don't really take anything from it. Yeah, that's so true. And I felt kind of like if I could make some small difference, like someone would cook something a bit better or not have a takeaway one night of the week and cook one of my dishes, that would be like a small victory. Yeah. And it's amazing though, the kind of, you know, the impact that, of it, you know, that you can have on people's lives by, by trying to kind of inspire them with food. I think you're so right because you can learn as much as you can learn at cookery school, but actually working in a professional kitchen, it's where you sort of build on all of that and you get yeah. the confidence. And yeah, I think it, you need a combination of the both. Yeah. And you do lose confidence at times when you're in a kitchen because it's not like an easy process all the way through. You have moments where you're feeling super excited about a new dish that's just come on the menu and you feel like you've really got it. And then during a service, you might have an off day and things might keep going wrong. And you, you know, it's like anything that's creative. You just, you, it's, you're only as good as your last dish. Yeah. Maybe. And also I, I, I definitely found that people didn't quite understand how stressful it is. Mm. Like, I think it's sort of. My parents were worried about me when I was in the kitchen. I mean, you know, you're surrounded by hot stoves the entire time and. Oh my God, yeah, the like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And you have one so meal a day. So I was, you know, wasting away completely and, and not really like enjoying I was enjoying it but it wasn't really sustainable yeah so they kind of seriously sat me down and were like do you want to reassess this and it was at the same time I was like actually I feel like I could do better in another area of inspiring other people so we kind of yeah that's that's why I decided to stop working kitchens awesome okay moving on to the second desert island dish of the day and that's (laughs) the first dish that you learned to cook Burnt eggs, probs. Um, What's a burnt egg? A burnt egg is egg that's majority stuck to the bottom of the pan. Oh. Like, none, like scrambled eggs that are oh, so like beyond scrambled. Well, that was like a technical dish that I hadn't heard of. No, heard no, 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 no. <laughs> I think that was the first thing I saw. I remember when I was 18. No, I must have been younger than that. 16. I was at my mum's house for a week where she was in away in Wales, I think, at some like, hippie festival with my brother. And I was... I ate home alone, hadn't really any idea about cooking. And there were a few things in the freezer, like some chicken and some tuna steaks. Yeah. And I remember for the first time really kind of trying to cook with proteins. 
And in the past, I had made flapjacks and cakes with my granny and I could very easily make a salad. Yeah, I could by this point make eggs. I could make toast. <laughs> I could make, you know, pasta. I could make those. You had things. skills. I hadn't really worked with timings of meat and nuts and fish. So I ended up, you know, obviously overcooking the tuna as you do and overcooking the chicken. And it, I just remember eating this and being like, this can't be right. This is so dry. This is so foul. <laughs> and it was so disappointing. Um, but yeah, I, I think the first time I, I remember like quite specifically being in a situation where I had to cook for myself and it was cooking chicken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone has to start somewhere. Everyone has to start yeah. somewhere. I think the thing is that a lot of people also specifically when it comes to fish and seafood, timing is the biggest thing and they tend Definitely. to overcook it. Yeah. And it, it upsets me because in the UK, like we consume so much land animal and we don't really support any of the Scottish fa- uh, seafood farms fisheries um, and everything ends up going to Japan and Spain. And I, I spend time, I really do going to the farms around the UK and I spend time in mussel farms. And I've seen salmon farms and I was at Yo Valley, the organic dairy oh, farm yeah. earlier this year. And I think it's really important as a chef to be aware of like where you're buying your ingredients and and um, being informed about, you know, the food that you're eating. And as much as I try to, you know, not eat too much fish for sure. And same with dairy. I am... Um, it was just kind of interesting hearing about where everything goes yeah. and the fact that there isn't really a market so much. In that the is South really East, interesting. There is a bit, but people are scared to cook with seafood and fish apart from fish and chips they'll buy. But it's... um Yeah, which is sad because it's not hard, is it? Once it's, you, it's not once hard. You know it's, what you're I mean, doing. it's very simple. It's very quick as well. And yeah, it's the like genuine fast food. It really is. Yeah. And um, yeah, all you need is like a pan, some garlic and some olive oil pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> make anything good. So Tess, you are both a chef and a model. Not oh two things you'd necessarily <laughs> put together since the infamous quote from Kate Moss where she said, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. <laughs> but it seems the two marry together well in today's food world. And do you feel like there's been a tide change with the way we view food and what constitutes healthy? I don't know. I mean, I definitely um, have a bit of a different career to any, I can't really think of anyone else exactly doing what I do. But I think that the way that the food industry has changed is interesting. And I think that there's health and wellness, and then there's like fad trend led um, kind of consumerism, which is usually led by brands wanting to sell products. And I think that the awareness towards eating well has become a really important thing. And I think that's great. But at the same time, with that hand in hand has come this kind of pursuit of perfection and this idea that if you eat a certain way you're going to be a perfect person yeah or you're going to become this kind of apparition of yourself yeah that food can have a bearing on anything other than I know like like it can affect your personality which yeah exactly I mean it'll maybe give you some more energy but it won't make you any less cynical (laughs) yeah it won't make you nicer (laughs) but I think it used to be sort of cool to have a diet coke and a cigarette for breakfast and now that does seem to have kind of changed I mean I asked for diet coke yesterday I had lunch with for red magazine um it was a boost your brain smart women week lunch and it was great but I asked for Diet Coke and all the girls looked at me like a little bit shocked like you oh, really? don't want an elderflower <laughs> I was like no I want a no. Diet Coke <laughs> I was like that's what I want I will be the person who actually last night was in bed at midnight eating sweet and salty popcorn and got it all over the sheets and it's you know for me I try and eat my three main meals a day primarily healthy I try and make sure I get enough vegetables get enough greens but you know I also am very actively involved in living a life I'm enjoying. Yes. And for me, food is about the pursuit of pleasure more 
as much at, you know equally as it is about being healthy and i Definitely. think if you're not enjoying your life and the food that you eat what's the fu- what's the point yeah i do i, feel I like- literally don't understand like i can't imagine ne- never eating sugar or i can't imagine you know giving up all dairy and all gluten and you know because it why yeah what's the point food is like unless literally you one of the to. best things <laughs> it is and i think for me i live to eat i really do yeah i heard you say that food is your husband and fashion is your mistress. It's a kind of love. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Food is my, yeah. Fashion is my, fashion is like a fun mistress. Like I yeah. get to wear some sassy clothes sometimes and it's, it is really fun. And my wardrobe is now, you know, rather extensive. And yeah. You know, overgrowing more so than I have pots and pans, but I've always loved fashion. I'm just very lucky. I get to work with very cool people. I get to do dinners for amazing brands and off the back of it, it, you know, it's just been the kind of natural organic progression. Cause I started yeah. off doing dinners for people like Mulberry and Alice Templey, who's just a wonderful British designer and a few other people. And now it's just developed and I've become an ambassador for Michael Kors, who are a designer so cool. in the States. And um, I've just done this amazing dinner in LA for Chloe and I'm doing stuff quite a lot of exciting stuff coming up this year. Yay. Okay. Let's talk about your third desert island dish of the day. And that is the best dish you've ever eaten. So I've broken this down for you. Okay. So because I can't actually choose the most, the best I've ever eaten. So I've got the most memorable. I have the best dishes I've eaten in three different cities. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I've also got probably the two and then one of the best dishes I've eaten in one of those restaurants. So the most memorable is when I was in Kenya on safari with my brother and my dad and I was 19 and I just got back from traveling and we, we've been on safari and we ordered lobster and I had never seen a lobster so big in my life. Oh, really? And it was the most unexpected thing. We were sitting by the river or whatever, you know, it wasn't like we were in the middle of nowhere and it was all land, but I'd never seen a lobster so big and it was cooked so incredibly and it had like garlic butter all over it. Oh my goodness. And I just remember being quite surprised. I yeah. thought it might have been like, a little bit more Kenyan or but it was a really memorable meal the lobster was tender so delicious they also I think there were fries somewhere on the table oh. it was just the most memorable because we'd been we'd had an amazing day I had a great time I have a wonderful relationship with my dad and my brother we laugh like crazy together and like every time we're the, it's the three of us I can't even walk that's <laughs> laughing so much. that's so nice yeah, so we'd had a really nice day on safari and then we had this beautiful meal and it was really amazing food, but also very unexpected. So yeah, that was probably the most memorable. Well, that's um, a great answer. Uh, but then restaurant-wise, I went to a really exciting restaurant in London recently called Magpie. Oh, tell us about Magpie. Which was really good. Um, so it's kind of experimental. It's a restaurant owned by James Ramsden and his partner who founded Pigeon in East London. Yeah. It's their newest venture. And it's kind of, I think it's, I guess it's Mayfair. Um, but they do very interesting things like fermented strawberries with mm. pickled, what was it? Fermented strawberries, with like pickled onions and a kind of little dish. Everything was a little bit small. I told them this. Okay. They did smoked beef tartare, which was very interesting. They did, um, what did they do? There Is it a sort of sharing? Um, sharing. Yeah. I mean, I was still hungry when I finished, but yeah. the food was actually just very artistic, very beautiful, very tasty. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it because it was dishes I hadn't had before and, they were really nice and very well thought out. And then in LA, I was there last week. So that's fresh in my mind. I went to this 
great place for lunch um, called Baco Meerkat. And they've got three Bacos. I actually bought the book because I really liked it. And there was That's a really a amazing, sign. yeah, a really amazing salad. It had like lots of different shredded types of like radish and Castle Franco. And it had sugar snap peas in it as well. And then there was a really nice kind of fish dish. And it was, it was really nice. Everything was very, very colorful. And I ordered a selection of different things that went together really well. That sounds so I, really good. That, I really enjoyed that. And then probably my favorite dish to actually eat, two dishes I ate together in New York in this restaurant called Uncle Boone's. And it's a Thai restaurant and it's this rice sausage, which is basically kind of like a sausage meat thing with, uh, I think it must be pork and a mixture of something else um, with some Thai flavors, but it also has rice running through it as well. Yeah, so what rice through the actual sausage? sausage. Yeah, So it's so light. Yeah. It was incredible. We ordered like three of them. It was, yeah, it was incredible. And then also this catfish lob that they did, which is just essentially, it's kind of like diced up fish and then a kind of Thai dressing mixture kind of mixture, but it's fried and served with um, herbs on the top. It was just incredible. Just so full of flavor. I'm a big fan of Thai food. Oh my God, Tess, those all sound delicious. <laughs> that was the best answer ever. I, I mean, I, I definitely travel and eating out is how I get my inspiration. So. Yeah. So this has been a huge year for you and you've worked on so many exciting projects, but I wondered what's the coolest one or the one where you really have to pinch yourself? I think walking for Dolce & Gabbana was a pretty mental. Amazing. That was last weekend. Um, At yeah, Fashion Week. It, yeah, it was in Milan. It was for the Couture show. Yeah, it was bonkers. And like having Stefano and Domenico like pinning me into my dress and <gasps> hugging me at the end. Like it, it's a pretty nuts Are you just, experience. the whole time something like that is happening, are you just thinking like, is this actually happening? Yeah, well, I mean, before we walked, everyone was kind of nervous. And I mean, I wasn't so prepared because I'd just come from LA. I literally flew from LA through Heathrow for two hours and straight to Milan. I had to go straight to my fitting and it was... Then the next day, it was just a bit mad. I wasn't as prepared as I'd have liked to have been. And sometimes the build up, you kind of want to, you know, feel your best before that. And yeah. I had a lot going on with New York Fashion Week and then LA. So I wasn't really in the best mindset. I, re- I loved the entire experience. I'd like to do it again. Yeah, and that like, was a great it was, experience. It was great really cool, but that, that for fashion, definitely. But I think probably my most memorable for food... Mm, that's an interesting one. I guess I think it's probably the first time I held my book or saw it in the flesh. Yeah, that was that, that was an amazing was, moment. Yeah, it, that was an amazing moment. But um, because it's like a life goal accomplished. Yeah, yeah. When I first trained as a chef, it was the first thing I kind of set myself to do and really wanted to do, and then you did it. Was, it. Yeah. Okay, Tess, moving on to the most important question of the day. <laughs> that is the fourth of the island dish. <laughs> It's what is your favorite sandwich? So I deliberated over this one. <laughs> and I think I'm going to have to say like a scrambled egg sandwich with truffle oil. And I'm going to go with like rocket and um, possibly some like finely diced sun dried tomato. That sounds good. So this is like a bit of a one I've made up, but it's basically like a scrambled egg sandwich with truffle oil. Basically, because egg and, and truffle is like my favorite things together in the entire world. I mean, truffle oil with anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> truffle oil with anything. No. I was actually dating someone that doesn't like truffle <gasps> oh, recently. That's a and, um, offense. Yeah, it yeah. was a, I, I can't. It's a deal breaker. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've done a lot of traveling, both for work, through your role as a travel writer and also for fun. Where is the best place you've visited in terms of food? I'd say probably the most accomplished places for food are often the cities. 
I say New York is very exciting for food, but their produce isn't as good as ours. Yeah, that's interesting. LA has great produce and some really good restaurants, but I wasn't really there long enough this time to fully kind of get my grip over over it. Places on the coast tend to be better. Um, Tulum, really good food. Yeah. Um, It depends on the kind of thing you like. I think for me, Mexican food, I really like. Okay, moving on to the fifth desert island dish of the day. Tess, what is the dish you eat the most often? Mm-mm. Probably cereal. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like cereal, I sometimes will have like a bottle of cereal at late at night when I'm, if I'm hungry after dinner. I went out for dinner last night, okay, with a friend of mine. I had sushi. We ate a lot of food. I got home. I had a whole other meal when I got back. <laughs> and it was just, I think it was because there was just stuff in the fridge that just looked yummy and I went for it. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of, if I have food in the house, I like the taste of. It's just, you know, I just, I yeah, just want to eat it. It's not about being hungry, is it? It's just yeah. the taste. Yeah. What, so um, is there a particular kind of cereal that you're tied to or is Granola. And my friend Ali taught me how to make the best granola. <gasps> Can you tell us what this is? I will tell you the secret okay. because it's not mine. And I still <laughs> actually haven't made it myself. But every time I go to New York and see her, she has granola around. And I've said to her next time I come at Thanksgiving, I'm going over for work, but I'm going to see her. I was like, don't make the granola because again, I will eat the entire jar and spend like, like three days with like the worst constipation ever. <laughs> um, so no, basically it's probably, yeah. So she base she'll blend about two thirds of a cup of oats to two cups of oats into a powder. And so what happens is then when she mixes like a third of coconut oil and then a third of maple syrup and some salt and cardamom and vanilla and cinnamon or whatever together, you have this kind of texture that ends up being quite sandy, almost yeah. kind of like slightly off. Wait, so you have some oats that aren't ground? Yeah, and some you, you blend are. probably about a third of your okay. oats. Yeah. Um, or half of them. Yeah. And um, what happens is, is you get this kind of clumpy biscuit texture. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the secret. So you have this that's kind of, it's basically idea. like eating like crumbled biscuits. Yeah. hundred percent. I can be on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> so you, and then afterwards you add all your toasted coconut, but it's the cardamom, the cinnamon, and the salt. To give it like the nice flavor and then the broken biscuit texture. It's basically like eating a whole jar of that's like eating legit like three packets of biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No. So your last book, The Naked Diet, came out in 2015. Mm. And word on the street is that you're writing another one. Yeah. Yay. That's so exciting. Are you allowed to tell us anything about it? Well, the thing is, is that with this book, it's been a bit of a, an interesting kind of grapple. I think in publishing, it's very easy to replicate books that seem to be successful or have been successful in the past. But all publishers want to know what the next hot thing is and what's amazing. And I've, I'm a, com- a person who is a combination of wanting to do exactly like what she wants to do and not negotiate on it. Yeah. So I'm working on a book that I feel very passionate about. And the reason it's taking me so long to do this is aside from being very busy with other projects is that it's been finding the right person with the right creative vision who can create a book that I'm proud of that is exactly the way that I really want to express my food. Um, so the whole point of this book is the ex- expression of all of the things I like to eat, the way I like to eat. And it's a balance of eating all of the foods really satisfy your purest like cravings and they're like pure pleasure foods, but they're not pleasure foods in the sense that it's all cheese and whatever, because that's not always the way I like to eat, but it's a balance of, of indulgence and health, but not in a way that it's one or the other, it's both. 
because I really am the kind of person who on a Friday night sometimes will wish on a massive bowl of pasta, but it will be pasta that's thoughtfully created, not just pasta with a whole bunch of cheese dumped on the top. Yeah. It's it's pasta that just tastes amazing and has like, you know, like amazing garlic breadcrumbs on, on the top and like really nice spice sausage running through and just, but it's a beautiful dish, but just really hits that pasta spot. And then maybe on a Monday morning, if I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear, the last thing I want to eat is like, a massive sandwich but I'll be my body will actually be craving something fresh and f- light and crispy so I'll have like some kind of shredded salad with some like really citrusy dressing and then maybe like some like feta cheese and some nuts and stuff you know it's so the whole idea of this book I'm going on a really long-winded ramp, rampage about it but the whole point of this book is about satisfying your cravings in the way that your body really needs them at that time yeah that sounds great yeah so at the moment the working title is filthy healthy cravings oh but i don't know if that's going to be the one that (laughs) sticks hopefully how exciting yeah okay tess we're on to the sixth desert island dish of the day and that's your go-to dinner party dish roast chicken probably yes is it something that you can throw in the oven and you can prepare everything else so i when i do roast chicken i'm not talking kind of like normal style I'll do like the chicken, but then I never really do it with roast potatoes, especially if I'm cooking for lots of people because it's oven space situation. So I'll sometimes do roast chicken and then there'll be some amazing like grain salad Then I'll do some kind of like baked vegetable dish with it and then maybe something else. So I like to have like the chicken be the main thing and something else, but then people can help themselves to everything else on the table. And then also the dips you've made early on, you can also put on the plate with the chicken. So you you get everything kind of going on. This is not her first dinner party. This is not my first dinner party. (laughs) But also I'm the kind of person that gets, I like everything to be different at each mouthful. So I like a variation. So yeah, I say roast chicken because also it's a dish that most people can do quite successfully. Yeah. Would you make a pudding? Oh, that's a good question. Um, if I have time, yes. Yeah. I probably, I always have ice cream in the freezer. So there'll probably be like some, some, I might do something. I mean, for the last dinner I did, I did coconut lemongrass ice cream, tamarind figs and like almond snaps. So the only thing I had to bake was the almond snap and then um, the, the tamarind figs in the oven when people were eating their mains. That sounds great. So that was, and that was for this dinner I did in LA, but it was a nice balance of, of being desserty and then then the ice cream was you know coconut based so it wasn't so kind of heavy and stuff yeah that sounds delicious I usually like to overdo it with all the main course and stuff as well heavy on the savory yeah I'll probably like bake bread and stuff instead of dessert it depends I mean it really depends on if it's like a barbecue yeah then I'd probably go for something else maybe like I really like doing um char grilled um, pineapple on the barbecue you marinate pineapple like in brown sugar and with a bit of chili oil and then put it on the barbecue. It's kind of like spicy and, and it's charred. It's also nice with meat, but it's also good to have as dessert with that ice cream. That sounds really good. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be trying that yeah. one out. <laughs> okay, Tess, we're on to the last dish. And that's the last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island. I would say it'd have to be something my mum made because food is nothing if not a memory evoker or it's like something that can be so nostalgic it's so true and I'd probably choose something what would I choose my mum makes chicken fajitas oh does she so like unauthentically not British and they're so not Mexican (laughs) but the way she makes them I really she's made them since we were kids so I probably choose my mum's chicken fajitas followed by 
it's treacle sponge pudding that my granny's made. Oh my god, I think I actually did just. But I don't even like. I don't even like treacle sponge pudding. Just because my granny's made it. Treacle sponge. It's not my thing. Is that not? No, I like like I'm like a crumble kind of girl. Okay. I like crumble. I like like tarts with fruit. I like fruit based desserts. I'm not really into like salted caramel and chocolate and stuff. It has its place. Don't get me wrong. It's not, I like chocolate on its own, but not so much. It's not, I prefer the fruitier desserts. That's okay, Tess. We won't judge you. Um, so if you, <laughs> I wondered one final question. Yeah. If you could only have one recipe book in your possession for life, excluding your own. What yeah, would, obviously excluding my own. <laughs> what would it be? Can I choose a series of books by one author? I'm feeling very generous. So yes, you can. I'd, I, if I can get, if I could choose, if I could choose two books together, I'd choose the two plenty books for Artelengi. Oh, I had a feeling you were going to pick that. He's amazing. And he's very, he does, he does things with a carrot that only, you know, you can't even imagine doing with a carrot. But, um, <laughs> but if I had to choose one book, I'd choose Eat by Nigel Slater. Yes. Great answers. Yeah. Okay. Tess, you're allowed to take with you one luxury item to the island. <laughs> what are you going to take? I would choose... I'm going to say this is such a cliche. I'm going to choose coconut oil, probably because it's a good moisturizer. You can put in your hair. It's a great lubricant, by the way. <laughs> and also you can cook with it. That is, that That's is. why I'm choosing it. <laughs> Don't really know where to go with that, Tess. Um, it's great. true. I just so you know. <laughs> Top tips um, for you out there. <laughs> Tess Ward, thank you very much for letting us hear your desert island dishes. <laughs> So we made the huge mistake of recording this in the afternoon last Friday, and I was so hungry by the end. Note to self, if I record in the afternoon, I must bring snacks. That might apply for you guys too, if you're listening along. I'm definitely going to try making the grilled chili pineapple, which sounds delicious. And I also really like the sound of that granola. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on the internet at madebymargie.co.uk or on social media at madebymargie. Bye.